Um, we're continuing our, our series in Hebrews, Everything Starts with Jesus, today. Um, and I, I got to warn you, today the author of Hebrews is a little bit upset. He's upset with us. And it's going to be okay. It's going to turn to a challenge, but he is going to give us a little bit of a, a pat. Okay, so, so let's, let's read it and let's pick it apart together. We have so much to say about this, <clears throat> but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Well... First, we need to know uh, what he, he's talking about there. He's like, we have much to say about this. And he's actually going to say more about it <clears throat> in, uh, in chapter 7. But if you remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, we, we had a text, and I said, just ignore this bit um, for now. It was about the order of Melchizedek. If you remember that, it's where we're like, what the heck was that? Mel- order of Melchizedek. I said, hey, the author is going to explain more um, later. But right now, just kind of set that to the side. It's, it's obscure. It's weird. Um, and, and we'll deal with it later. Well, the reason the author of Hebrews is upset right now is because he knows that his audience doesn't know what the order of Melchizedek is either. He is upset with them because he thinks they should. He thinks that this should be obvious to anyone who's studied the scriptures. But then, the reason they don't, why don't they understand this? Why don't we understand this? I mean, I, I don't know. Does anyone here know what the order of Melchizedek is? Oh, okay. Griffin's got it. All right. <laughs> uh, but the rest of us are like, oh, he's like, why don't you know about this? Well, it's because, at least for the, the hearers in, of, of the author of Hebrews' letter, it's because they no longer try to understand. That's the NIV softening, the Greek there. Um, the, the Greek is actually, uh, you're sluggish, you're lazy in listening. You're lazy in listening. You're, you're, you can't be bothered. To, to listen and to understand. Instead, you just want to, 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 to let that stuff fly by you. For any of you uh, who teach, uh, you may have noticed this over the last um, several years. I've, I've noticed that my students, um, more and more, they have this, this strategy to not pay attention. And what they do, I have a picture of this, that what they do is they, they all have laptops. And so they open up their laptop. And then they use the laptop as a shield so that they can browse their phone. So it looks like they're taking notes. And they think I don't see this, but I'm not stupid. Uh, and so they're, they, they're, they're scrolling. And the other thing that they do, and probably a lot of our younger people here right now have, they, they always wear AirPods, earbuds. And it used to be that they would have long hair to try and cover it up. Now they're brazen about it. They just sit there and like, oh yeah, I've got one of these in here. And what they're doing, they're literally scrolling TikTok during our lectures. Now, I don't feel like I'm not that boring of a lecturer, I feel like what's going on is that more and more we are distracted and distracted people. More and more our attention span is, is just, it's getting smaller and smaller. We've done studies on this. We know it's true that in the last 20 years, the average American attention span has dropped like 50%. And the, the number one driver behind that is cell phones. And what they do, because it's harder and harder and harder for us to pay attention, we get lazy about listening. 
The good news is this isn't a new phenomenon. It's worse now than it's ever been, but it's not new. This is something that happened in the ancient world. It happened to the very first Christians. They got bored. Well, the first thing your note sheets is attention is, get, is hard and getting harder. And we, we, ha- we as, a, as, a, as a counter-cultural congregation, we have to be pushing against this. Okay, so a couple of questions. The first is, how's your attention span? Be honest. And how about your kids? I, I mean, I, I, I confess, man, uh, there is nothing. Those of you who know, I have a four-year-old son, Soren. He's almost five. And he is the most energetic kid I've ever seen. Like, he is constant. Go, 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 go. Man, there is nothing better. He, he now has three iPads. He's got three. So that there always is one with a charge. Because when I've lost it, I'm like, electronic babysitter, put your headphones on, see you in a couple hours. But what's that doing to him? A- another question. Do you have a regular practice of attending? Long-form reading. It doesn't, reading Facebook posts or Instagram, that, that Twitter, that doesn't count. It's got to be at least two, 3,000 words where you have to actually, like, focus for an extended period of time. Um, focused prayer, prayer that's meditative, that's, that's sometimes, like we, a lot of times our praying is like, God, give me this, God, give me that. What about, God, you are incredible, and let me meditate on your beauty. Apparently, once you turn 60, watching birds becomes fascinating. <laughs> I don't know, it hasn't happened to me yet, but when it does, I'll let you know. But I, I would say this, I mean, I, well, you, Kevin, you're not, you're not 60 yet. You like watching birds and shooting them. <laughs> but that, I mean, honestly, even hunting, like that, that takes focus. It takes, you have, it's not something where you're just automatically engaged. You have to work for it. And attention and, and learning, being a good hearer, that's, it's, it's like any other muscle. If you don't exercise it, it will atrophy. But if you do exercise it, it will get stronger. So the last question. Are devices helping or hurting your attention span? I'm, I'm mixed on this because, as a lot of you know, um, I, I literally only read on my phone now. So I, I read novels. I read even, I, I can even do my, uh, my Greek and Hebrew study on my phone. I, it's incredible. And so it, in, and on one hand, the device is, is great. It can help. But on the other hand, it's really easy for me to, like, you know, check whatever the new headlines are. Like, how, how many times a day do I go back to my favorite news websites to see if anything new has happened? It might be that we need to make a practice of setting it down and leaving it, and most importantly, letting our kids see that. All right, let's go back to the text. What happened because they got lazy in listening? What happened? In fact, though, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. I have word there capitalized. The, the Greek there is, is logion, which is like, um, it's like revelation or message. 
And so it's, 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 the idea is that the author of Hebrews is like, God has, has this incredible revelation that's fully realized in the person of Jesus. Jesus is God's revelation, God's message to the world in its totality. And yet what's happened is instead of going deep into that and knowing more and more about who Jesus is, what God's plan for the world is, people are content, these people are content, happy to just sit there and hear that Jesus died for them over and over and over again. And that's a, that's a nice thing. That's a, that's a comfortable truth. It's not bad. It's not, it's not, we, we shouldn't, let's not stop preaching the gospel. That's ludicrous. But maybe there's levels of the gospel. Maybe there's more and more that needs to be known that can deepen and enrich and give us new hope and new life if we're willing to do the hard work. When I was a kid, my dad was a, uh, he was an Air Force veteran. He flew, um, he flew aircraft in Vietnam, like refueling SR-71 spy planes. And that, that experience, those four years uh, in the Air Force, dramatically shaped the way he thought about the world. And one of the re- ways that that manifested itself is that when we went on car rides, whether it was like local or like a, a car, like a long road trip, I was, I was always, if I was in the, the passenger seat in the front, I was the co-pilot. I was the navigator. And that meant that I had to have open the Thomas Guide, remember those, or the AAA, AAA had like these, these maps that would show you like neat places to go, whatever. And, and by, by nature, I, am, I have a zero sense of direction, like none. Um, I'm lost for the moment I wake up. But because of this work, uh, this, this, because of this practice, I actually, in my teens to, to, to mid-late 20s, I actually got decent at knowing how to get around. Because I focused on it, I had to. I, w- I had this practice where I was always looking in the map. I was always planning out. And I, I got pretty good. So when I moved to North Carolina, when I moved and lived in Japan, I actually was pretty good about finding my way around places, which shocked me because, like I said, naturally I'm... But then the cell phone came. Then my dad was an earlier, early adopter on GPS, so he had like the old... I think my mom still has one of those old like Garmin's or whatever. I'm telling her, I'm like, look, it's on your phone. Like, why are you doing this? It's not only, my mom, my mom has, she has a Garmin. And then above that, she has the built-in GPS in the car. And she has a phone. So she's never lost. But I, I, I started um, in my mid to late 20s. I started getting the cell phone, maybe early 30s. And, and I started depending on the GPS. And what I found was that now I am more lost than I've ever been. I've lived in Mission Viejo on and off since 1985. And I still don't know where your houses are. Like, if I'm going to Dustin's house, I literally look him up, put, plug him in the GPS, and he's like a half mile from me. It's pathetic. I think something similar goes on with God's message. Right? It's really easy, it's convenient to just sit with the simple stuff. You know, how, how, do, how does God want me to handle my finances? How does God want my family to look? Uh, what is, what is the, the meaning of grace? What, uh, how, do I, how do I get saved? Those things are simple. They're convenient. They're easy. And they're good things. But if we're depending on that all the time, we miss the big picture. We, we, we lose the ability to navigate 
all of reality. If you think, if you think of, of God's message, Christian tradition is, is massive. It, it answers all kinds of questions, all of the questions, really. It, it tells us who we are, what we're supposed to be like, where we're headed, our relationships to each other and to the created order, the, the nature and character of God, what God is about. All of those things are answered. If you know those things deeply, you have a great sense for what the universe is like and how you fit in it. And you know how to navigate But if you miss those things, and if you just stick with the GPS and and, and the elementary truths, you're going to find that you're going to get lost. When things get complicated, when the culture, which is constantly, constantly propagandizing us, when the culture is against us, we will get lost. If we just stick with the basic stuff. And that's the next thing in your note sheets. Spiritual milk, that is just the, the simple... Not bad, not bad, but it's like GPS. It's comfortable and it's easy, and it keeps us weak. It keeps us, and ultimately, it makes us get lost. And so what happens to the people who are listening to the author of Hebrews? Well, he says this. He says, anyone who lives on milk, you're still a baby. You're not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. For those of you who've been in church for a long time, righteousness that tends to sound to us something like uh, right and wrong, you know, the kind of like how, you know, what's good and what's bad. Usually we think about it in terms of ethics, morality. The author of Hebrews and really the New Testament and Old Testament have a much bigger view of what righteousness is, okay? Righteousness is, it's exactly how God thinks the world ought to be ordered. Like the complete ordering of everything. Like we just talked about, the relationships between human beings, between us and God, between every everything that that God envisions the universe to be the way it should be—that's righteousness. And milk's good. I like milk. Love a cold glass of milk. Put ice in. Have you had? Have you guys? Has anyone here had whole milk? Oh my gosh, it's unbelievable. We were, uh, we were just on vacation and they had a whole milk dispenser. And I was like, this is, un- this is insane. No more of that 2% for us. What? Babies are cute. I mean, we like babies. We're, we're stoked. You know, new Mikey Pasquale is here. Babies aren't always fun. Not always. I got a picture here. Sometimes they look a little bit like that. But overall, like, what's the, what's, what, what's, Babies are great, right? Like, why, who, who's, why is the author so angry about us staying babies? Well, do you know what uh, separates a human infant from every other um, creature, animal on earth? Anyone know? The, the, the basic difference, besides the fact that we're humans and not lizards or whatever, it's that human babies are the only species that are completely helpless and completely dependent. Every other species, um, you can have examples of, say, a wild chimpanzee being born and abandoned by its parents and survive. Because when a chimpanzee is born, it's not obviously an adult, but has most of the cognitive functioning that a chimpanzee is going to have, has most, not all of the motor skills a chimpanzee is going to have, Human babies are not like that. In fact, if, we, if, a, if a human baby was to be born at the same relative level of maturity as a chimpanzee baby, the, the baby, they estimate the baby would have to be in the womb for about 21 months. 
That's how long it would take for, because think about it, once a baby is born, how long does it take for the baby to walk? How long does it take for the baby to have basic motor skills to be able to, 21 months-ish. That would be a pretty rough pregnancy. Um, But that's what it would take. The reason the infant metaphor is being used is because the author recognizes that those who refuse to go deeper into the faith, they remain dependent on everyone else. That's what it means to be a spiritual baby. It means you you are constantly in need of other people to feed you, to support you, to carry you. Now, that's not entirely bad. Of course, in some way, we're all spiritual babies. But, but there, there's a sense in which the author's like, but you gotta, you, you got to get out of that space. you got to grow up. You can't just forever be dependent on someone, the, the leader guy to, to help you, you know, your, your youth, old youth pastor. You can't, you can't be like that. You, there's an expectation that at a certain point, you've got to launch. You've got to become self-sufficient to an extent. So the next thing, your note sheets. Spiritual babies are wholly dependent on more mature believers. And I do think that there is, like I said, there's a sense in which every one of us has, we're immature in some way. Like nobody's perfect. Nobody's fully developed. And so it's worth asking ourselves, like in what ways are we still spiritual babies? It's the first question I have here. What is it? There's lots of things. You know, the author of Hebrews, remember, he's not just talking about knowing the Bible. When he's saying God's revelation in Jesus Christ, he's saying God's entire, like the entire view, the Christian worldview, if you will, like the, the, the whole way of life and knowledge and experience that is following Jesus. And so, yeah, there are some of us who are Bible babies. And by that, I mean, you, you, you never, you don't crack that thing. You just wait once, once a week. 35 to 40 minutes, you're going to get spoon-fed. And you like it. There's others, though. One way in which you can get trapped into being a baby is um, to become, to wallow in pain. Tragedy happens. It happens to every single one of us. And if it hasn't happened to you, it will. And one of the things that we can do, one of the things, a natural, that we get, we get comfortable in our pain. We get comfortable being cared for by those who have pity on us, who have compassion on us. That feels good. And we never take that step to receive the divine healing that's in the power of the Spirit as we, as we walk, as Jesus walked. We let our suffering define us. I'm tempted to do that. There's every aspect of life and faith. In every single one, we can sit and we can stay dependent. And we have to be honest about ourselves. Where is that for us? The next question. What is it going to take to grow up? I mean, if you're a Bible baby, hey, get into a Bible study. You know, you got CBS, uh, Bill and, and uh, um, Gary, they, they often... What Mondays? Starting up soon, yes. Okay. Two weeks starting up. That's an, that's one way you can do it. You can start a Bible study. You can ask me. I will do things. 
if, if whatever it is that you're, you're held back, wherever it is that you're weak, you need to think, what is it going to take to become strong to grow up? I'm going to skip that last question. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll keep that um, for the end. But let's, let's go back to the text. This is what's at stake. If you're not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, you're not able to handle solid food. Solid food is for mature people who by constant use, that is, they, they keep imbibing it. They keep eating it. They keep eating the good stuff, the deep stuff. They've trained themselves to distinguish from good and evil. They've trained themselves to see the world as God sees it and to live in the world as Jesus lived in it. Milk is awesome. But there is something even greater. And I have a short video clip that describes it. When you're feeling hungry, you don't want to mess around with a quarter-pound meat sandwich. Instead... Eat the new half-pound roast beef sandwiches. Eight ounces of thinly sliced, tender roast beef. And if you really want a quarter pound of beef, that's cool. Just eat half of one of these. Arby's, we have the meat. <laughs> I, I've eaten at Arby's twice in my life. <laughs> and both were horrible experiences. The, the last time I was at Arby's, we were, we were on some kind of youth trip, and we were coming back from somewhere. I don't remember what it was. I don't remember anything about the trip at all, except for eating at Arby's and being like, why? How is this place still in business? This is crazy. But they've got the meats. In fact, there's a, in 2017, 2018, there was a, a 97-year-old World War II veteran uh, who lived in a, a, a retirement home in, in New York, in New York. And he, he was on a walker. I mean, 97 years old. That's, that's old. I mean, Bob Barker just went to 99. We just, we just lost him. Um, but it's 97 years old. And so every day he would leave the nursing home and he would walk like three stores down to an Arby's. It was the closest place to eat. And so he would go in and every day for lunch he would order uh, it's a roast beef with Swiss cheese or something like that. Not, not the half. He didn't get the half pounder. Uh, he, he got like a small sandwich and, and then a, a soda with no ice. And after a while, some of the employees started to get to know him. And they found out that he was a World War II veteran. They found out he was combat. They found out that his whole family was gone, that he had no one left. And they became his friends. Like, he had no other friends. And so one day, he's coming to Arby's. And when he gets to the door, they would always open it for him because he had a hard time with a walker. And they hand him a card. And they say, free Arby's for life. And so he ate at Arby's every day until he couldn't leave and until he passed just a few years ago. If he, if, if he weren't 97, right? If he were like, you know, younger. And he had the Arby's, you know, food for life card. And he went and he ordered the half pound <laughs> roast beef Every single day, twice a day, lunch and dinner, you would start to notice really, really quickly. Because one of two things is happening. He's either going to go, Bleh! or he's going to get yoked because he's working out tons in order to deal with the, 
probably both to some extent. But if you ate that, if you, if you have the meats, if you've got the meats and you're with the meats, man, it shows. It becomes really, really obvious. You get bigger, you get stronger, or you just get bleh. But one way or another, your body changes. And it's obvious to everyone that you've got the meats. What the author of Hebrews says is that if you've got the meats, if you're, if you're diving in to your faith, if you're living it hard, if you're going after it, you're following and, and seeking the prize, it becomes really obvious because everyone starts to notice that you have the ability to see as God sees, live as Jesus lived. It's obvious. It can't be, it can't, you can't miss it. Jesus even talks about it. It says, you, you know the, the, the tree by its fruits. Right? Like, if you go that direction, you're going to get bulked up. You've got the meats. And that brings up just the last couple of questions. Oh, uh, first thing, yes, you can tell by looking who has the meats. If you got the meats, it's obvious. The first thing is, if, if you, if you want to know whether or not you've got the meats, you have to look and see how you view the universe, how you view the world. Because the fact is, like we saw, said, you are being propagandized every day, constantly. You are being bombarded by images and, and narratives and, and half-truths that try to direct your life and your vision in a certain way, okay? And if you are persuaded by that, if you are swayed by that, if that's how you see the world, you don't have the meats. At best, you're drinking whole milk, but if you are able to see right past the lies and see the way that if you know deeply, no, this is not how God sees things. This is not how Jesus would have lived. This is, not, and I'm not going along with it. If, if that's you, you've got the meats. And the most important thing to ask is if you, I know we got a ton of people here with tons of meats. Like, and, and we got people who you might think that you're mostly a, a milk person, but I guarantee you at some level, there's no one in this church who doesn't have some meats on them. And if you do, if you've got the meats, the question, the most critical question is, are you sharing them? Are you sharing the meats? Arby's doesn't want to keep the meats for themselves. Arby's wants to give you the meats. Who are you getting to dig deeper Earlier this week, I sent out a survey um, to because because really we're Caden said it last week and, and I said it the week before and I've been talking to uh, elders and staff and and lay people uh, just we we have to be the next step for this church the next place where Coast needs to go is we need to go all in on connection and discipleship um, we've got it's incredible the the amount of talent spiritual talent. Are, are, are looking at me right now. And a lot of it's not being used. And a lot of people are in danger of slipping through the cracks. And a lot of people are in danger of staying babies. And our, the commitment now needs to be, how are we going to share the meats? I am encouraging everyone. I'll, I'll send out another, I'll, I'll send out the link again. Please, please take the two minutes uh, to fill out that survey. I want to know where the Spirit is sending us. Because I'm, I'm just a guy. I'm, I, I have this passion, um, and I'm excited about it, and I believe that it's the future. I think that's where the Spirit's headed, but I, I don't. 
I don't know what that looks like tangibly. I need your help. We need your help. We need to say, hey, what is it going to take to make sure that we really are genuinely family, taking care of each other, admonishing each other, encouraging each other, sticking with each other? What do we do to make sure that everybody here is, is deeply enmeshed in, in, in someone around them and not just me? A lot of times it ends up being me. And <laughs> I, I love hanging out with you guys, but there's, there's a lot of you now. And I, don't, I can't get to every one of you. You need to be built up by somebody else. Someone's got to be sharing the meat with you. And you've got to be giving your meat to somebody else. If you didn't get that email, you need to let me know because I need to update your email address in our system. And if you did and you haven't answered it, please do. It's anonymous. Um, and it, it's just three questions. Just three. We're, what are we doing well? And what might we improve on it? What needs to stop or change? And what, what do we need to do next in order to, to meet this goal? In order to become what God's calling us to do? In order to fulfill the calling that this church has, the upward prize of Jesus Christ? What do we got to do? Because man, if we just keep drinking milk, we're missing out on the meat. <laughs> 